Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. This is the Finos Open Source and Fintech Podcast, and I'm your host, Grizz Griswold, Marketing Manager for the Fintech Open Source Foundation, or Finos. So, welcome to 2021. <laughs> We're looking forward to a better year overall, even with some interesting beginnings, and I'll just leave it right there. Um, but to start you out this year, and while we're working on our 2021 meetups and interviews, we wanted to highlight a few great discussions we've had within the community over the past couple of months. So our first of this year is an interview between Dan Abramov and James McLeod, recorded at the Open Source Strategy Forum, which is Finos's annual open source and financial services conference. Now, Dan is a software engineer at Facebook, uh, he's a member of the React core team, and he's co-author of the Create React app, and well-regarded within the JavaScript community. James is our director of community for Finos, and host for many of our open source and fintech podcasts and meetups. So during this interview, uh, we will learn whether a project like React would have actually worked out or, or even been around without backing from a large company like Facebook, uh, whether... Hacktoberfest uh, raised issues for the React core team and how Facebook promotes inner source projects to open source and more. So please enjoy this interview, check out our previous episodes, and subscribe to the podcast for some great upcoming discussions on open source, financial services, fintech, and how they all fit together. Hi, I'm James McLeod, Finos Director of Community, and I'd like to welcome Dan Abramoff, software engineer at Facebook, co-author of Create React App and Redux, and Twitter open source commentator to the Finos Open Source Strategy Forum. Dan, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here today to answer questions from the Finos community. But before we start, can you introduce yourself for those who aren't familiar with the work you do within the wider JavaScript or Facebook open source community? Sure. Uh, th thank you for the introduction. So I, um, I guess I'm only uh, I mostly work on React itself. So React is a JavaScript library for building user interfaces. Um, so I I was like using React a lot before I got the job at Facebook, and I work on the React core team. So that involves mostly. Uh, Fixing bugs, maintenance, uh, helping develop new features, writing documentation, and talking to the community, which is what I'm doing now. That's awesome. So firstly, what are your th thoughts on the funding of open source projects and sustainability? Would a project like React work without the backing from Facebook? Yeah, that's, uh, that, that is an interesting question. Um, I think there is... Uh, um it is definitely possible that projects uh like work without uh like a specific like a single corporate i mean obviously they do need some sponsors right and like usually those would be corporate um but like i think like view is a uh th there is a um kind of like a, a competing library called view that is uh fairly popular and view doesn't have a single corporate sponsor so it's 
uh, it's multiple sponsors. They change over time. Um, so it, it is funded by, by the community and the, and the users. So I think it's, it's definitely true that this model can be successful. It's, it's not very easy to like replicate it. You need a critical mass of users. So I think it mostly works for already established like pretty big projects, uh, but it is, uh, it is definitely possible. As for React itself, I think there is a, um, like, it's hard to say like what if like I don't know. Uh, I think there is a uh, there are definitely differences in like how we would work, um, and I think like one particular area that I think people um, underestimate the value of uh, of like a company that is uh, that is stable that uh, that that is not like a startup but like a um, a stable corporate sponsor is the ability to do long-term research. So, um, because for for a lot of, uh, at least in my experience, and like I, I'm not like uh, <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone, but uh, I think it, it is true that when uh, like for smaller companies, the return on investment is uh, like it needs to be very concrete. Uh, like it's it's support, it's developing like particular features that they ask for, um, and while that that by itself is obviously valuable and that that's fine, um, I think sometimes this uh, this comes at the expense of um, like not being able to do kind of moonshot projects where like you might uh, or whereas like a bigger company might be able to fund like. Uh, three years working on some idea that is um, that is maybe more ambitious than usual, and not all of them pan out. And I think that is, that is what I I appreciate about Facebook backend React is that we have the ability to go for like really big ideas, even if they take time. So from what I understand, when you were developing Redux, you had to get multiple different sponsors in order to keep your work going. Um, is that true? Um, so Redux was, uh, was kind of a uh, unusual case because it is it was developed as a proof of concept for a conference talk. It was not meant to be this like heavily used library in production, uh, but people started using it. They liked it, and then for a few months, uh, like I, I didn't have a job at the time because like my previous uh, the company when I where I was working it, it has folded. Um, and so I did. Um, I did have the community funded for like maybe three to five months, something like this. Uh, but I was primarily focused on documentation and uh, and like examples. So I was not even coding that much. And I would say that Redux hasn't really changed since like that. That was like five, four or five years ago. Like it's it's a very uh, it's a very unusual library in that it doesn't really do anything. Uh, and it's just like a, a pattern. And I would say like even like maybe an overused uh, pattern, um, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, it certainly has its competitors now. And so you've sparked some in inspiration in the rest of the open source community with it. So um, last month, I actually noticed that there were various different tweets about um, Hacktoberfest and, you know, the value that Hacktoberfest actually brings to the open source community and the, the value of the contributions. 
Um, now Hacktoberfest has ended, did the React team actually see an uplift in bogus contributions or did DigitalOcean address the community concerns? Yeah, I, I think it, it was a complete mess in the beginning. And in part, I, I think that, like the, from what I gathered, it was just like the, there was a person, like a YouTube uh, person who like uploaded the video that said basically, here's how you can get like free t-shirts. And so people got carried away. I don't think like a lot of them were even familiar with like open source. Um, so that, that that was a bit strange, uh, but that lasted for like three or four days. And then uh, I think like Digital Ocean changed it to be opt-in or something like this. Uh, we did not opt-in. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to say if like, aside from those early uh, like noisy PRs, if there was like actual uptick in contributions, uh, but that's mostly because it's just like, I'm, I'm doing a pretty bad job of like actually checking those uh, because we're like, we're in a um, kind of a final stretch of like a few multi-year projects that we're just trying to wrap up uh, and get to completion. And so we have intentionally de-emphasized uh, like looking at contributions and um, uh, and like uh, commutative pull requests. So I haven't really been keeping track and like, I don't expect to until like several months after now. <laughs> yeah, because I, I suppose um, the React team would have to label um, some of the issues that they're inviting out to the Hacktoberfest community. And so it kind of puts a bit of um, pressure on the team to um, review and then accept. Yeah, and I think for, especially for React's case, uh, it's pretty tough because like, it's not a new project. There aren't many, uh, you know, like simple bugs you can just go ahead and fix. Um, so it's like there are issues we do want to work out, but they require like multiple months of like just gaining context on like what the problem is. So it's not particularly like amenable to uh, just like drive-by contributions yeah. uh, whereas and I think like that's that's fine I think like a lot of people who think about oh like I want to contribute to open source like they think about big projects but it's really like I would encourage to go beyond them and instead just like fix something that you use it's often like small components small libraries that would appreciate the uh, you know like the actual like, like bug fixes and the, like there's plenty like uh, opportunities for like performance improvements and, and stuff. Um, so I would say just fo focus on the, uh, you know, on the uh, long tail, uh, not on the, uh, like, like on the, on the uh, just a few high, highly visible projects. Absolutely. I know um, from a financial services point of view, um, having React, be an open source, it means that, you know, uh, engineering leads can actually take a look under the hood at the code that's there. And so it gives you reassurance about the quality of the product rather than, you know, the odds of you being able to contribute into the project. Um, so from that point of view, you know, open source, you know, does increase quality and it keeps the engineers accountable for the work they're doing. Um, so if people actually follow you on Twitter and, you know, uh, look at all of the tutorials that you've been putting online, you actually spend a lot of time on community engagement. Would you say that's essential for project su success and what works best for building that community? 
Um, yeah, I, I think I, I don't actually do as much of that now. And it's kind of a tough balance. Like, I wish I, I had a good answer, but like, I'm just learning. Um, because I think like early on, uh, it really helped uh, React that uh, there was a, uh, like, I, th I think React in that sense was unusual because uh, like usually you would have dedicated people like developer advocates uh, actually uh, um, like helping people understand the project and like documenting and so on. And I think React from like, from ver very intentionally from early days, it was like most of that work was done by engineers working on it. Um, and so the downside of this is that uh, the, um, so the upside of this is that it's uh, like the vision uh, of the, the people promoting the product is this, like it, it is guaranteed to be the same as the vision of the people actually like working on it. So there is no like chance of miscommunication or like framing something that is like not entirely correct. Uh, so it, it is very uh, like it is very honest. Um, but the the downside of that is that um, as, as the project grows, it doesn't really scale. So like you can't keep responding to everyone. And also, I think like one thing that that I'm kind of uh, trying to figure out now is like. I think uh, like a few team members, like including myself, become kind of the center of attention where like all this energy is concentrated. And that actually makes it harder for like newer people to break out into the, like in the, the ecosystem because um, like they're not the ones being asked questions. Like they don't get the same opportunities. And so it becomes this very top-down structure, uh, even like unintentionally. Um, and I think that that's something that uh, like, that's why I feel like, like I don't really have advice because like I, I want to figure out how to uh, like decentralize it a little bit and maybe not not have to be as involved. Yeah, actually that is a, a really good, well, that, that's an unintentional consequence of, you know, that momentum that your own personal brand is built. Um, so how do you actually invite um, other engineers from, you know, the open source community or Facebook into that, you know, how do you delegate, you know, all of that focus that you have outwards so it becomes more federated and less centralized? Yeah, and like, I feel like some teams are better at this uh, than us. Like, I think Vue team is a good example. Uh, like they, even though there is a, a small kind of, um, like the project itself is driven by a, uh, a small number of people, they do a pretty good job at distributing knowledge, even like um, things that do, that are top down, like there is uh, there is a particular like direction that the team wants to, to take. Um, they do kind of find ways to uh, distribute it across uh, like educators and, and like, so that it's, it doesn't seem like it's coming from like just a single source. So I think that that, uh, that helps. Um, but uh, another part of this is just um, better documentation for sure. Like, uh, because like the reason people ask me questions is just because like something's not plainly stated in the docs. Um, and there's like also partially like, like our fault because uh, for some things, 
like for example like uh react hooks right like it's a it's a uh, it's a pretty big shift in how you think about React components. Uh, it's like an API we introduced uh, two years ago. Almost, I think it's almost two years ago by now. Um, and actually a bit over two years. Uh, and it's like at the time, we didn't know how to use them. Like, sure, we wrote the docs, but like we didn't have two years of, ex like nobody had the experience. It's a novel concept. It's like nobody like wrote code quite the same way before and so of course we didn't document a lot of things and we're just because we are just finding them out and like we are finding them out through those conversations and through those questions yeah. but it's it's like you know you need to take time to kind of gather things and then you need to like consolidate them and i think that's that's the phase we're in now is like we've learned all of those things from those conversations and now we need to put them in a like in the reference so that other people can refer to them without asking us yeah so we were talking about um federation versus centralization so with um react hooks being an example did the requirements or the idea for that come from the community or did it come from the react team yeah um it's an interesting question i think it's uh like there is a broader question here of like the, where does the division of React come from? I think it's, it's actually something that is quite misunderstood uh, in the community. Uh, so like there, there are people who think that like Facebook sets uh, the direction of React. Uh, and I think like maybe we have said something to that point that like, that's the reason people are saying that is that we, we have miscommunicated earlier. Um, uh, but uh, I think it's, it's really neither. It's uh, it's neither Facebook nor the open source community. Um, I think the so like um, the 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 way I see it happening is that we um, we look at different problems and like people bring problems to us, right? So and that happens both at Facebook and externally, and like. There are different characteristics of like how that happens. So like um, externally, we get a larger volume of problems, but slightly lower quality because the barrier like to, to like filing issues is so low that people can just like fix my code. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, you don't like the signal to noise ratio is, is not very effective, uh, but the volume is so large that you pick up on like you notice things that you wouldn't like have, you wouldn't have thought of otherwise uh, that like people run into. So that gives you breadth. And then I think at Facebook, it's more about depth. So at Facebook, we also, like people also come to us with problems and we can spend much longer time kind of, because like we have access to the product. We don't just take their word for it, that it's a problem. We can like literally run that code and see, oh, like, I see what they're saying. I see how that influences the product. Um, so we get a lot of uh, uh, like much more depth from those conversations and th those investigations. Um, but the solutions don't come from that either. Like that's just inputs. And um, I can't really say where solutions come from because like I'm not <laughs> the primary person who comes up with them. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly like Sebastian or Jack Lead. Um, 
but the way he works is more like a scientist in the sense that uh, he accumulates all these problems, but then he kind of takes, you know, like how you need to take a step back and see like how, how like how, how did we, how did we end up in this situation and like what, what are the different things we could do. Um, but I think what, what is unique about Sebastian from like my perspective, like compared to people I worked with, is that he takes like 10 steps back or like 15 steps back. And he he discovers like pathways that like other people didn't take for whatever reason uh, that are actually like pretty interesting. And so, and like, I think his, his thinking is shaped by first principles, which means that like, it's not about Facebook, not about open source. It's about what is a user interface? Uh, how does a computer work? <laughs> how do we make those things <laughs> work together? And it, it sounds really vague, but uh, I think like, right. if he finds those solutions and he's inspired, like obviously he takes a lot of inspiration from things happening elsewhere, right? Um, so it could be like competitor frameworks, but also again, like his, uh, like he looks at uh, like things in programming language research or like low level graphics or like, all of those things that he would usually not necessarily connect to front end, but like he finds inspiration there as well. And I think it's just this work, like the way he comes up with solutions is just this synthesis of different things that he learned from like different places. That's um, an amazing observation because it's very easy to get caught in, you know, delivering features or doing what a business analyst asks you to do, you know. And, you know, computer science is actually very creative and it's a good opportunity to go back to the science and explore, you know, our roots and what we need to do in order to further things. So within financial services, um, inner source is actually a really big um, uh, topic. And that's all about the collaboration inside teams and inside um, firewalls before you even get to open source. So what is the strategy at Facebook regarding inner sourcing? and open sourcing projects. How does each team decide which project to open source? Yeah, um, I think this really comes down to individual engineers um, because like you can't force somebody to open source a project. And I think uh, projects that have been open source have always had somebody who like felt really passionate about it and kind of convinced uh, like other people that it's, uh, it's the right thing to do. But then even if you open source it, right, there's like, um, there's different ways to do it. And um, a lot of teams, like they might open source something and then they don't know, well, they just threw something over the wall, but they don't work with the community or they, um, like they don't really explain uh, what it is or they stop maintaining it. So like in that case, it's, it's it's better not to open source than to open source poorly um, because that, that just creates like a burden for your users or you need to be very clear in expectations. So we do have a process, like we have a open source team that supports open source efforts um, that is there. Like if you want to open source something, you send them a request and they like follow up with you just to check that you understand that like open source is a commitment uh, that like it's it's not just throwing things over the wall, um, like what this thing is, how is it different from what we already open source? Because like we have a large portfolio of projects, 
Um, and we also, they like, they have a stage process. So we started in like uh, something called like Facebook incubator, which is just a home to like all experiment. And I think like Facebook experimental, maybe that's what it's called, but it's like a home to all the projects that we don't really know if like they're going to work out as open source. And then if there is like, if there is adoption and the team is still interested, like eventually they kind of graduate. Um, but there are plenty, uh, there are plenty of libraries and solutions that, um, like the authors are just not interested or they just feel that they bring more value to the company by focusing on, uh, on like internal integrations. And so they, they explicitly decide against open sourcing. Um, and I think like th that's also a, that that's also a way of doing things. Um, I think just my kind of mantra there is just that it it's better not to open source than to open source poorly. So you you need to really know like why you're doing it and what what you're hoping to get from it because like you're probably not gonna get contributions. Like that's that's not the uh, I think like a lot of people think that they, that's like oh Facebook is getting so many contributions that's why they open source. Uh, for React we actually get sure we have a lot of small contributions but uh the vast majority of the work is done by uh like folks uh, employed at facebook or our partners like companies that we partner with um it's, it's not like just like drive-by fixes uh that are like uh, really making the big difference so open source is not about like getting something it's more about like if you feel that you want to influence the industry you want to share what you learned and you want to put your approach under the scrutiny. Uh, like I think that that's one of the most positive things about big company open source is that it keeps you honest uh, because internally it's easy to stagnate. There's like, there's a solution, everyone uses it too hard to migrate away from and it just, uh, it's just like, uh, it just dom dominates within the company because there's nothing better. Uh, but in the open source, you're forced to confront that there are other solutions and they have different characteristics and now you have to compete. And so that makes your product better because you have those like uh, abstraction boundaries uh, that, that that you can check that those actually make sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's a good like self check if your code is actually like good. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you very much for that advice. Um, so the final question, so taking a look at your own um, personal projects uh, within your own um, personal uh, repo, we noticed that you have a project there called, um, so this is the acronym, so I know that it's not actually called this, but it's um, called by some wider name, but WTF is. So so what is that and, and what's the motivation behind it? Yeah, so it's um, kind of like a side project. I actually forgot about it, so I, <laughs> I need to add a few a few more definitions, but it's uh, it's a glossary of uh, of like terms you might encounter in JavaScript, um, like closure, hydration, uh, you know, like things that sound like uh, some of the compu uh, computer science concepts, like memoization. Uh, some of them are just like uh, some tooling or uh, like just concepts that don't really make sense, but that people kind of uh, like that made their way into JavaScript developer vocabulary. Um, 
but the point of that glossary was I, I just couldn't find anything quite like if I wanted to explain like one of those words to somebody, I couldn't find like a place to link them to because uh, Wikipedia is just impossible to read. It's like uh, on computer science, if you open something, it's just, I, I don't know. There's, they assume so much existing knowledge and like existing context and like uh, they're overcomplicating things. And then if you, if you just search for like, like simple definitions uh, on like blogs and articles, a lot of them are plain wrong or misleading. Uh, like the person misunderstood something and then and then like wrote an article about it. That's super common. And I mean, like I I I can fall to the same thing as well. Hopefully, because like my material gets a lot of circulation, people will point out the mistakes. Um, so you, but I yeah, suppose. that's that's kind of the motivation is just to have something that is worth it. In a way, I would explain a concept to someone over lunch. Yeah, yeah. And what, what I was thinking, so earlier in the interview, you said people should actually be contributing to the smaller libraries and the more long tail kind of solutions. And so this could actually be a perfect, um, you know, project for people within the Finos community to raise pull requests against to help you maybe flesh it out. Yeah, I, I don't think this one is a good example because uh, it is also intentionally, um, it has a very kind of um, uh, well-defined voice. So it's it's like my writing. It is very intentionally, right. um, I, I don't think like uh, anyone would write in exactly the same way. And like, I, I want it to be written with my particular voice. That, that's okay. kind of like an aspect of this project. But similar projects, sure, like they, they would, sure, and like, especially because people don't contribute as much to, like they want to contribute code, they don't want to like contribute documentation as much, but that's actually like documentation is one of the things that uh, can be like really, really difficult, especially writing good one. Um, so, so, so maybe one way people could actually help you is by raising an issue, you know, something that they found that you might want to consider for inclusion yeah. in the glossary. For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So thank you, Dan, for joining me today. But before we leave, how can people follow the work that you're doing in the open source community and potentially leverage it for their own projects? Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Because uh, I, I have a Twitter, but I, I mostly just like uh, post random things there. Um, in part because like, uh, especially lately, I feel like Twitter has gotten so, uh, like, I mean, technical Twitter has gotten very kind of polarized uh, in terms of like, oh, like this library, like is bad, this library is like, what it's, it's just, it's very emotionally taxing. So I kind of stepped away from like technical discussions on Twitter. Um, I prefer to have them on GitHub. So, but if, I think like if we release anything important, like if you're interested in React, just follow the React.js Twitter account. That's uh, anything important will be there for sure. And on the React.js blog. So again, like we post anything that's on the blog that's gonna be cross posted on Twitter. Uh, so you can follow React.js. As for my personal work, uh, you can definitely follow me like uh, twitter.com slash Dan underscore Abramov. Um, but just be prepared that it's a lot of random stuff and then somewhere in the middle maybe i 
post something about a project I work on. That's amazing. Thank you once again, Dan, for joining us today. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a good day. So we hope you enjoyed this interview between Dan Avramov and James McLeod, recorded at the Open Source Strategy Forum on Open Source, InterSource, React, and how Dan and the community bring it all together. We at Finos want to sincerely thank you for spending time with us and invite you to connect with our community. Please subscribe to the podcast. Join us at finos.org to find out more about the community. Follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn or join our mailing list for weekly updates. And please just get involved with this community. So this has been your host, Grizz Griswold of Finos. Good day and good night wherever you are. 